It's rut and river. Yes. Correct. R-U-T. I rest my beard hair right on there, it. And then you know you're there. Like a nice, gentle little pillow from right, a beard. Right. And then I'm all up in it. Oh. I'm like Kobe beef for sharks. Can I ask you, what made you guys call me up about, well, this? That's what tickles our fancy. Exactly. Okay. Thought the Rocky Mountains would be rockier. John Denver <laughs> is not accurate. Man. A guy like you, who has absolutely no clue, and I can hear it in your voice, that, you know, <laughs> you know I mean, you're a blank canvas. I mean, I can just start with you, right, like, from scratch. You, you're going to tell me, a grown man, you're telling me what lure to use and how to fish? You guys didn't s- snap your whopper plopper off <laughs> either, though. <laughs> sorry, sorry I blew up over that. And we're back. This is Rut and River Pursuits Podcast, and you're around the Sonic Campfire. <laughs> Who do we have tonight, guys? I'm Catfish. I'm Will. Hey, I'm Ryan. And this is Dave. What's hey, guys. Going on, Dave? What's up, DK? How are we doing? We missed you yesterday. I know. I was not happy at work knowing what you guys were doing, but we have something better right now to talk about. Do you line something up for us? What do you got for us, Dicky? We have Christy Titus. What? Wow. On the line. She's on the phone right now. She is. Christy, you- are you there? I, I am here. Yes, I'm barely hanging on, but I'm here. Uh, on the edge of the seats and all that. I'm on the it. edge of it. Well, for our listeners, Christy, board of directors, NRA, a competitive shooter, instructor, anything outdoors, TV Backcountry host. Backcountry hunter. Yeah. I mean, welcome to the show, Christy. Thank you for having me on. So, what's she, going on in Oregon right now? She elk yeah. with the bow. Yeah. I like, do. literally, she chases them, I she think. She takes a horse with her when she does it. Sometimes I am back, known to chase them. I get a little crazy when I'm elk hunting, though, so don't judge me by that. We would never. No, that's not our style. <laughs> not our place to judge. I've never had the chance to go hunting, taking the horses in. That seems very cool. Packing in? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we. I mean, we, when we hunted in Alaska, we just float planed in, but we didn't actually have the horses to go up in the backcountry. That seems fun. I want to do that. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I was very fortunate as a child. At the time, perhaps I didn't realize that it was so awesome growing up in the middle of nowhere, you know, not having that traditional neighborhood setting at the time you feel like, man, I'd really like to have people to play with. But looking back now, I'm like, that was pretty awesome. I uh, grew up, you know, on on the back of a mule going in the backcountry with my mom and my dad and fishing and camping and just really non-traditional way of life, I guess, if you will. So your parents were outfitters? No, no. They just liked to go hunting. Just live the life. That's just what they do. Yeah. Living the dream. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I would would go as far as say is I feel like you're super blessed to grow up like that, even though it does feel, it could feel a bit lonely at times. I mean, I didn't grow up like you, but I grew up in the mountains of Pennsylvania where me and Will, we lived like 10 miles apart and Will's known Will since second grade. He's one of my closest neighbors then. So <laughs> yeah, truth. Yeah. Well, you know, as a kid, I was always jealous of the other kids that got to go to Disneyland. I was like, man, I wonder what that's like. And I've still never been. And I'm like nearing 40. Well, <laughs> you're not, you're not missing anything. No, well, no, I clearly do not feel like I missed a darn thing now, but at the time I, 
I, you know, didn't realize that being on the back of a mule was better than being at Disneyland, perhaps. Well, tell you what, you have a bunch of kids sitting around this table right now just dying to hear about this Disneyland experience of a lifestyle you've been living because (laughs) it sure sounds like I want to do all the things that you've been doing. Because just looking at some of the pictures in your bio, it's just that's stuff that dreams are made of. And you do it daily. It's awesome. I agree. I'm very blessed. And uh, I get to enrich my life with the most spectacular scenery in the world. And, and there's, you know, no mountain that my heart doesn't yearn to conquer at some point. That's for sure. That's very cool. My mind works weird. I have to ask. So is it Oregon or Montana? I live in Oregon. Yeah, Oregon. Is there chupacabra there? Because I, I have. No, what I, did you just? <laughs> <laughs> they're like a they're like a half fox, half coyote, mangy, gremlin looking thing. Like I don't Chubac- know. the chupacabra. The chupacabra. Yeah. No, we have regular old coyotes here. Actually, our coyotes in the wintertime catch a pretty good penny. If you're, you know, if you know how to prep fur and take it to sale. We just learned about that. Mm-hmm. So we have a, a lifelong trapper friend, and uh, he was describing the difference between the eastern coyotes and the, and the western coyotes and yeah. and fox. You guys are getting like double, triple, four times the amount of money for a pelt yeah. comparatively same size than we are on the east yeah. coast. So. Yeah, I can sell on a traditional kind of average year. If I go out and hunt and I shoot a coyote, I can sell it to a fur prepper processor for about 20 bucks, and he'll sell it for about 70 at a sale. Hmm. So if you're doing your own trapping and, you know, you're, you're making, you know, you can make as much as 70 bucks a dog. Uh, our coyotes are gorgeous. and it, But it's also, you know, it depends on the fur market. So whatever the international market is demanding is what obviously drives the fur prices. Is, that, is there some long-distance shooting out there? I mean, for coyotes, obviously, out there, is that something that you guys take the creed more out for? Yeah, you know, I, I'm not an avid predator hunter, but, you know, a lot of my friends are avid predator hunters, and, and they'll take a rifle to you know for those long shots. And then, you know, sometimes you have those dogs that sneak up literally in your lap, and they're using a shotgun for them. Yeah, so that, that's a lot of guys here. are running... Yeah, they're running stages in sets where they'll have, you know, both firearms ready, um, if you will. Yeah, that's what we do here. One guy sits with the rifle, one guy sits with the 12-gauge. Yep. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they it's, it's wild how they can come out of nowhere right up behind you. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. It, well, they're not very big. No, and I believe, I, I mean, I believe that some of the ones out west, the pictures that I've seen of are even, like, lots, they're good size bigger than the ones we have. Here's a wild yeah, question. Yeah, I mean, have you seen yeah. any of those? I mean, it's in magazines and it's like starting to come to light. Maybe, I mean, here, maybe it's been more out there. Uh, Bigfoot. No, no, yeah. Oh, no, that guy. <laughs> no, the the coyote wolf crossbreed thing that they're talking about. No, I mean, I'm not familiar with it. Oregon's just now getting wolves in Eastern Oregon, and, and we have a very significant pack of wolves. And in fact, like this year, I was bear hunting in Hell's Canyon. Um, excuse me, I didn't bear hunt Hell's Canyon this year. I elk hunted Hell's Canyon this year. And what I found extremely alarming was that of all the cow elk I saw, and I saw probably 20 cow elk, I saw one calf that survived. Wow, that's horrible. That's horrible. Between the bears and the wolves, uh, the, the populations of big game in Oregon are really, really, really suffering, and then big cats also. Um, right. So... 
that's those are all major concerns and and um, I try to spring bear hunt every year. I'm not always successful at it, but I think is you know for me it's is important for the North American wildlife conservation model to manage both ungulates and predators. So I try to bear hunt as well. But uh, we're in a sad state out west with wolves, and and you know some states have grizzlies also, which um, are extremely protected and you know further diminish those wildlife populations. Sure. Yeah. I I mean I didn't. I didn't mean to bring it up, but I don't even know if it's a thing. I've been seeing pictures in magazines, and it looks—it's smaller than a wolf. It looks has like a coyote head. Looks reddish. Yeah, there's there's been documented hybrids. Okay, and well, stuff I didn't like know. That, I, that, I saw pictures. I didn't know if that was a thing or not. Yeah, you know, I thought it might be a chupacabra. Not, you know, type. Of not deal. in my state. Yeah, I mean, we either have wolves or they're coyotes. As far as I know, they haven't inbred. But heck, I'm not living where they're living. Um, I'm not in Eastern Oregon. Well, I'm in Eastern Oregon, but not in Eastern Oregon where, where the great population of wolves in our state's living now, currently. Now, you're, now your state, um, as, as far as what you're allowed to do in your state, are you allowed to hunt mountain lions in your state, in Oregon? Yes, not with dogs. Okay. And uh, the wolf the wolf population as well, is there a tag for that yet? No. Yeah, that's no. still, uh, they're, they're still protected federally, I think, right? The wolves. I, they're off the endangered list, but they're still protected. Yeah. Well, from from like Yellowstone, I saw another magazine article where there was some, um, you know, a map with, uh, you know, the dots of the populations on where mm-hmm. they've spread. They've actually gotten a good bit away from Yellowstone now. So. Mm. Yeah, and that's that's been the concern, I believe, um, in the West is, you know, the impact that that the wolf can have both on the wildlife population, but also, you know, cattle, cattle farmers yeah. are concerned about them, things like that. There's been a lot of... Well, food is food to yeah. a wolf. It doesn't... Oh, yeah. It doesn't care if it has a, a tag in its ear, correct? Yeah. However, it's very majestic in the way that its inner workings with its group is, uh, the the alpha, the beta, the... I love... I just love how... Sometimes they put the older wolf out front, and the alpha sometimes will even lead from the back to watch the entire pack. The, the inner workings of how they work yeah, is, is neat, truly amazing. definitely a cool pack animal. But it makes it an alpha predator for sure. Like, oh, yeah. once they become a problem in an area, I could see where everybody, the farmers alike, and, you know, the calves, like she said, would be really hurting if you didn't watch that population. Well, Christy, The problem with them is they're almost impossible to hunt, and there's this great ut- utopianism that a lot of, I would say, the utopianism of, oh, we need this great checks and balances of, you know, wild predators that aren't human to manage and balance wildlife populations. But what they're not taking into account when they reintroduce this with their with their mindset, and this is where man comes in to help monitor um, with hunting, is that when wolves used to exist with wildlife, for example, you take somewhere like British Columbia or Montana that were roadless and un, unlandscaped, if you will. So when there were six feet of snow that a moose could get around pretty easily in, you know, a wolf's really going to struggle in that type of condition because their legs are short and they sink. But you add things like trail systems that are manicured by man, road systems that are manicured by man, and these wolves use those as freeways, and they can travel up to 50 miles a day, and they uh, hunt them like a freeway. Yeah. And <laughs> and that man has opened up the opportunity for them to be an even more apex predator, and that 
that is where we have to come in and ma- as man and say, okay, well, how do we manage this? And, and the difficulty of hunting wolves is they're like chasing a ghost. They're extremely intelligent. And uh, it's a very, you cannot manage wolves through hunting alone. It's just impossible. Right. I th- and that's, and it's crazy too, because, you know, we spend so much time uh, with the science and research on tag numbers for a healthy population as con- conservationists through hunting. There's no tag numbers for wolves. Like they, they don't. Oh well, it's okay to have you know this many wolves in this area. They should only do this much damage. But you know, at the end of the day, they they don't have tag numbers. They don't. You know, they they just. I'm not making them out to be extreme killers to kill everything they see, but they can do a lot of damage. And the coyotes in here in Pennsylvania are almost. Like your wolves, since we live in the mountains, they only have to take a few steps in either direction to disappear. They're almost like ghosts as well. You hear them. Yeah. You very rarely see one, but we find shredded, shredded deer constantly, shredded turkeys. Um, and uh, it's you see their tracks, and it's the same thing. I, I can't um, – I we – let me back up. This year, me and Lacey were driving to work, and we saw the same flock of turkeys by the house every day for almost three weeks almost every day. And she had a lot of youngins with them. And every, every week we would see less and less. She only had two come late, come later in the spring. And that's opposed to our fox population. We have a huge fox population, but this, I'm sure the coyotes got some of them too. So if people don't predator hunt here in Pennsylvania a little bit more, I said this before in one of our other podcasts, I think down the road, a few years down the road, we're going to be hurting for a turkey population, especially with these hard winters that we've been having. Yeah. Yeah. So numbers are good, but predator hunting needs to keep up. Random thought mm-hmm. I had to throw out. So, so, Christy, if any of our listeners follow your Instagram, see a lot of competitive shooting, what, what type of competitions are you involved in? Ooh, so last year was my first year competing in the Precision Rifle Series. And, um, yeah, I was pretty intimidated to step into that market. I'm not going to lie. I've been shooting long range as a hobby for six or seven years now. And um, last year was the first year I was <laughs> bold enough, if you will, to step into that into that uh, series, which was very rewarding and extremely addicting. So when you say precision rifle class, like what are how are you competing? Is it, you know, are you competing from all three positions and at distances, barriers? What, how, what's a competition look like? So each stage is different. And typically uh, in the Precision Rifle Series and the National Rifle League, uh, there's two different series. I'll shoot them both this year. Um, typically you have like a 19 course of fire series it lasts over two days day one you'll usually do 10 day two you'll do nine or you know sometimes you'll do 11 on the first day but they all vary um you'll have a round count typically of 10 uh and then your stages are 90 seconds to two minutes in duration and they'll vary from uh, multiple target engagements that would be at varying distances to building multiple shooting positions at perhaps one target or multiple shooting positions at multiple different targets. And, and you have, you know, obviously a round count and a time allotment to uh, make those and execute your successful shots, which you know typically is no longer than two minutes. So if you think about it, you know, some stages you got to build a shooting position, you know, five different times in two minutes and get 10 rounds off. And sometimes there's 
five different targets. So you have to have a you know really good system to be very specific with your dialing, know your wind calls, know your wind calls as they change at dis- dif- uh, different distances. Because obviously, the longer your time of flight is with your bullet, the more the wind is going to affect your trajectory and where it's going to impact each target. So you have to keep in mind all of those things when you're running through your courses of fire. And it makes it really unique and challenging at each one. Are there different classifications for this, like stock guns versus unlimited mods? Yeah, they have, like, the guys that are shooting 308s, they have attack division for that. Ballistically, they're just inferior to what, you know, you're getting out of 6.5 Creedmoor, 6 millimeters, 6 PRC, stuff like that. And then they also have a stock division. So if your rifle and optic combined is less than, I believe, $2,500 in value, um, or is it $3,000 in value, it's something like that, that um, then you can shoot stock. Now, my rifle would qualify for stock, but I shoot the Night Force ATAC-R, and that scope alone sets me way out of <laughs> the stock class. But my rifle, I'm shooting uh, the Ruger Precision Rifle, and that is a stock factory rifle and i'm shooting factory uh hornady match ammunition as well and this is all bolt action right there's bolt action series and then there's also gas gun series yeah wow i can't imagine trying to engage and be that accurate within two minutes for five different targets yeah i'm still racking my brain over the time allowance yeah. And you have to build different shooting positions. Like sometimes you'll start standing, hit kneeling, or you'll start <laughs> at one end of a course of fire and you have to run and pick up rounds and come back. I mean, they make it to where it's really tough. I find shooting, kneeling, shooting offhand, kneeling so amazingly challenging to me. I don't know if it's my mid core strength or the this staying steady, even shooting at 100 yards is ridiculous for me. Kneeling position is the hardest. Yeah, anything unsupported is challenging. And when, like, you take someone like me, if I have a stage that they call for, all right, you're standing or kneeling unsupported offhand, my rifle's 25 pounds. I'm just throwing those rounds in the dirt as fast as I can get them sent. And my goal is to get on a target that I can hit without wasting time because I know I'm not going to hit them. I mean, me trying to hold and maintain reticle, on a target, even at a hundred yards, if it's a hundred yards, perhaps, you know, like last year I did a Pyrrhus, uh, match in new England and we did a freehand, uh, it was like 150 yards Sasquatch and I nailed that offhand, but, um, it was a big target. Yeah. Now you, so you have to just evaluate all those things and game it a little bit. You know, if, if the first part of your, your stages are, you know, uh, off of a, a position that perhaps you're not as competent with, or, you know, you're not very good at versus, you know, as you get across that course of fire, you know, the positions become more of your strong suit. A lot of times I'll spend less time on those beginning stages and try to get towards those more solid stages, because for me, I'm not as good as a lot of the really good guys. I time out a lot. So I'm always watching how I can try to pick up as many points as I can with, with a given amount of time. And the guys that are really good are getting their first round off in 10 seconds. Hmm. And they're getting their second round off in 14. That's amazing. I would be, like, just rolling up there, nerve-wracked to get out of the truck shooting against (laughs) some of those people. And and I think a lot of it for me is my dad was a competitor rifle shooter whenever he was young. But they shot, like, the the 1,000-yard open sight M1 Grands in Springfields um, back in the day, the shooting prone position. Um, And they were shooting a huge, huge target that you mm-hmm. know, looked very small at a thousand yards, but you walk up to it and the 10 rings, you know, 
significant. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, they're just putting 30 odd six rounds downrange um, back yeah. in the day. And uh, I think always growing up in the shadow of that, I always concentrated on being a really good archery shot um, because I knew I'd never beat that. Now, today, growing out of that a little bit, you know, I hunt. I own a really beautiful Ruger 1 Falling Block 300 Win Mag that I just adore. I think it's an amazing rifle for me in Pennsylvania. Um, I find it to be a super accurate rifle for me to just practice with at the range and have fun just to shoot a bigger gun. But to take it to a competition, even here, like a 200-yard, 300-yard competition, to walk out of the truck and look at some of these competitors, I would just... I would think I'd be nervous. So for you, well, and you should be showing up to a match like that with a 300 win mag. Like those are like ELR match rifles. Like everybody's shooting really light recoiling fast rounds right now, because the more you can see what your bullet path is doing, the better shooter you are, because what you want is to see where that hit or that misses. Right. So you can adjust quickly and make that round count. So Guys aren't shooting magnum caliber rifles with heavy recoil at these matches. You just don't see it. Um, you see six millimeters, six PRCs, you see six, five Creedmoors, things like that, that light recoil, easy to get on follow-up shot that guns, not kicking you around. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you know, those longer range matches where you're shooting, you know, 1800 yard shots, then you're seeing the 300 win mags, 338 Lapua, stuff like that. But those are more belly matches and I'm actually shooting an ELR match this year in June, which I've never shot one before. So that should be interesting. And what is that? I'm sorry for ELR. extreme long range. Oh, I gotcha. And you said 1800 mm-hmm. yards. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's extreme. I shot out, <laughs> I shot out to 2200 yards last year at FTW ranch, uh, with, uh, Ruger's new 338 Lapua. Now my 300 wind mag, would it be capable of doing that? Cause I've never shot at that range. I've not shot a 300 wind mag that far. Ballistically, I don't see why not. I was shooting a 338 Lapua at that distance. Right. 1,800 yards for sure. Yes. Yeah. And and I think, you know, I plan on shooting my 300 wind mag out that far. I think it's going to do just fine. What's the uh, what's the extreme long range at Titus Ranch? Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> technically down below I can get 880 at my place. Wow. It's nice to have an 880. I mean, everybody should have an 880-yard range. In their yeah, back. I got an 880 I in my backyard. Yeah. 880 Eight. inches. To, Eight yards. To the driveway. Yeah. 80. I think the, the longest shot I've ever taken was 500. Yeah. yeah. 500 yards. And that was, you know, through boot camp and then all the qualifying I had to do in the military. But a human silhouette target at 500 yards is invisible behind the front sight post of an AR. Madeira. There's yeah. nothing there. You why'd can't you, see it. Why'd you put that I can't gun imagine together what would so quickly? Because <laughs> you tell me to, drill sergeant. You got to strap That's in, boy. That's where you need your old NX-8, 1 to 8, I, on your, and then you DMR up your rifle, and now you're shooting close and far. Well, yeah. I, you I you just really confused any, everybody <laughs> around this table. I can't think any more acronyms. I heard something about Eminem. Eminem told DMX to do something to my rifle. That's what I heard. So if you put a one to eight, you can you can use it for your close close quarters. It's a true one power, and then you have up to eight power, so that you can become your designated marksman for your unit and shoot those longer targets. Oh, uh, okay. When are we gonna see like the Christie School of Shooting? Because I might want to take that course. She's an instructor, I, I believe. Know that. Like, 
but like you the, want the R, whole, like I want the, the exclusive R two. Bring the gang out, laugh at us all week while we shoot and miss, and then we can learn something and make fun of us. Yes, like Julie, like Jillian Michaels for shooters. <laughs> exactly. I'll scream at everybody. No, uh, she's kind of mean, <laughs> yeah. actually. I don't want to be her. Can I be somebody else? Just, you can be somebody nice. That's okay. <laughs> she kind of yells be, at people. You can be Bob then. Wasn't it Bob? <laughs> the it other, was Bob. The other he's guy. Pretty, he's kind of on the wimpy side. Kind of, we need to find a moderate. <laughs> we need, yeah, what's the middle? Yeah, what's the, I don't the know. spectrum is Bob and Jillian. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'll be Jillian for sure then. Yeah. <laughs> Given the options, she'll take that one. Uh, That's right. <laughs> I got to bring uh, No, I, I don't think I'm going to. You know, I bought um, a piece of property. I closed on it in June so that I could shoot. But I, I can't do anything um, for m- money, for c- consideration. So, like, you guys could come shoot with me and I could teach you, but I just can't charge you. So that just means if you come out, it's oh, better free. for us. Oh, my. That's yeah, my kind of price. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You just perked up <laughs> Ryan's ears. So I got to play another factor into consideration being in, in out there in Oregon right now. How do you practice this time of year? Is it not like 40 feet of snow or something crazy? No, I was out there today. If you guys look on my Instagram stories, I was looking pretty hot and tempting in my Carhartt coveralls. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> just rubber boots and car, I mean, Carhartt coveralls. And if it gets cold enough, I just build a bonfire and keep my hands warm and, and, you know, shoot 20 rounds, warm up my fingers and go shoot and make it kind of fun. Yeah. That leads right into one of the questions I had earlier as you were talking about all these competitions. How often do you shoot? Well, I don't shoot enough. So the, the really good shooters, uh, the guys that I really look up to and aspire to be like, um, they're shooting no less than 300 rounds a week. So they're training constantly and, and just given my lifestyle, I know I just don't have the time to reach that level of training in consistency just i mean i'm hunting all fall so the nice thing that my range does provide me is some time to keep the dust off of my rifle if you will in between hunts if i have a day or two i can go get out 100 rounds but i'm lucky to get you know 200 rounds a month off in the fall hunting season maybe 300 rounds you know versus like this spring i'll be shooting three to four hundred rounds a week wow i imagine that you have some help down the road with some of that ammunition cost then because for me to go out and shoot 300 rifle rounds a week would get extremely pricey it does get extremely pricey which is where you know platforms like the ruger precision rimfire is really great because it's got basically the same ergonomics as its big brother the rpr which i shoot and compete with but it's 22 caliber so same bolt throw i can go through and practice um, my transitions, I can practice, um, my stage setup and prep all under time. And I have steel at my range out to 225 yards with that RPR. So I can train with it. Huh. It's very, very inexpensive and get the same level of training as I would with my, with my, with my big brother rifles. The only thing that you don't get is the recoil management as much with that. Um, cause there is none. Um, but if you are on a price restriction, you know, as far as money goes, that's a great opportunity for anybody to train, even at close ranges, you know, and the rimfire uh, co- competitions are getting really popular as well. 
Yeah, I, I are guess seeing I a lot never. More of those around here, yeah. I guess I never mm-hmm. thought of that because that's what my wife Lacey and me shoot. Uh, we shoot the 17 HMR all year to get her more ready for uh, yep. you know rifle season. Yeah, you're pretty much doing mm-hmm. the same thing. Do you, uh, Christy? Do you get involved at all with any reloading? Do you reload any of your competitive rounds? I don't have time okay. to do my emails. <laughs> <laughs> at least she's honest. <laughs> I mean, let's be really honest here. I am traveling over 200 days a year. I don't reload. My dad likes to reload. Um, I save all my brass. And, you know, I mean, I'd like to sit down and spend some more time with my dad learning that art. Because I think it's important for my dad to teach me that at some point. um, For not only him, but but also for me, it's just coming up with the time for it. It's, it's hard to balance everything. And so it makes, you know, Hornady's level of accuracy. My standard deviations are typically single digits and my extreme spreads sometimes might hit 12 or 14 feet a second, but they're pretty tight. So there's really no reason for me to reload. It's crazy too. Like some of the, some of the Hornady ammunition that I've actually shot off the shelf in different grains, you know, out of some of my rifles, yeah, or every bit is good. I would, I would have to say, for me at least, than the match ammunition my father used mm-hmm. to shoot when we went to the range back in the day. Yeah. I'm not saying mm-hmm. it is today. I, but. I know for me personally, I shoot a, a one of my hunting rifles is a, a Browning seven millimeter mag. Yes, and my reload rounds are way more consistent, really, uh, than mm-hmm. anything off the shelf. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and I match, and I'm not yeah. saying the guys that know how to reload their their consistency, their standard deviations that are hitting three or four feet a second consistently. Yeah, these are the top guys in the world shooting. I'm not that good a shooter, so already my rifle and ammo combo outperforms me. When and if I get to that level, that I am better than either one of those components, I'll look at doing things like rebarreling reloading ammo, things like that. But my level of consistency, I mean, my Ruger rifles are shooting sub half minutes out of the, out of the box with factory ammo. I mean, if you shoot a half minute group or a sub half minute group at a match, you're going to do well. I mean, most of our targets are two minute targets. So, you know, if you're, if your rifle ammo combination is a half minute accuracy and your targets at your courses of fire are a minute and a half to two and a half minutes, there's no reason your weapon system should be missing. It's all on you or wind. Right. So so for our listeners, a half minute of accuracy, that's a half inch at 100 yards, correct? That's correct. You, of, a, of a group of five. So what DK is saying for the listeners that aren't smart, like can't <laughs> Google like it. Deke. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just playing. But it is. So there's a lot of people that wouldn't know what that is. And it still confuses me to hear it wrapped off that fast by somebody talking at it in a sentence. It can get a jump over my head, too. <laughs> but it sounds totally natural coming from you, so kick it out. Yeah, it's impressive. <laughs> um, yeah, it's crazy that you said that, too, because, like, in, in Pennsylvania here, we do a lot of archery hunting, and I don't want to touch a whole lot on that, but you can actually have a skill set after a while. If you have an old bow and you're shooting with your friends, if you don't upgrade your bow and say you have an you know, eight, ten-year-old bow, you can actually – your boat cannot perform as well as you can. Like, you can only be That's as good correct. as your equipment. Right. Some of the modern-day bows that we're shooting now, like out at ATA, and we just shot some at Kinsey's, I don't know if you can be good enough to <laughs> the technology. Stupid. It seems like it's getting... It's getting. Uh, I, they keep finding ways to be better, more balanced. We more, say it every year. 
It's weird. Like, how can they get better? But they, they do. But that's well, and much. it's the same thing. You know, we talk about exacting standards. You know, Hornady makes their ammunition to exacting standards. Ruger manufactures their actions to exacting standards. So there's not this huge range anymore of actions that aren't consistent or ammunition that's not consistent. And you don't have to invest four thousand dollars in a rifle to have it be exact standard and and the the technology has increased so tremendously and that's one thing i love about ruger like you take them they brought on uh doug koenig this year who's one of the best shooters in the world and they now have an in an entire pistol line that you can literally buy a ruger 1911 now and you're shooting the same pistol that doug koenig is shooting in competition and winning the world so they have taken that exacting model and made it affordable for everybody. And that's what I really love about things is you don't have to spend a bazillion dollars on a platform to be competitive anymore. Yeah. You just need to make sure you have the latest and greatest. That's right. And that, that goes with just about everything in the world. I, I upgraded my binos this year just because Will did. <laughs> Will upgraded his bow, so I got a new bow, which was his old bow, which is still the latest and greatest. Yeah, but it's it is nice that to know it. Here's the wild thing: some of these rifles are like forget accuracy; they're they're becoming lighter, less recoil, cooler looking. So when you talk about the latest and greatest, I mean a really typical AR platform looked really killer just a few just a few short years ago and then you look at some of these custom you know uh firearms makers and i'm looking at they're going you know just you know hashtag unique weapons and look at some of the ones out there holy cow guys are getting to be like uh what are them guys yeah it is art what's those the the oc chopper guys that made the spider bike yeah i mean those types Mm -hmm. of guys are making guns now they're Mm -hmm. ridiculously beautiful I like it actually. I like to see the artsy fartsy guns. I do. I do like to. I want to jump back just a hair, but like when you guys were talking about ammo, and uh, when you find that one, that manufacturer that trips your trigger, uh, you know that's pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> I I have about. I'm probably not exaggerating. Uh, it might be an exaggeration, but I have about thirty years worth of deer rifle. You know, ammo. You just it's, keep buying it when you get the it. one thing. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> it's the, that one ammo is uh, you know all yeah, I it's need. Cr- we like we we upgraded Lacey's deer rifle this year. Yeah, well, like we got her the seven mm eight, and I bet you I have. I'm not kidding. I dug through all that 30, 40 boxes of that two forty three ammo that I just didn't want her to have anymore. And yeah, I don't know what to do with it all. You have a two forty three, Ryan. Yeah, I have tons of ammo for it. If you'd like. <laughs> so, so Christy, you were saying you travel about two hundred days a year. What? That's hunting. That's competitive shooting. What else is that? Uh, trade shows, events, uh, traveling for NRA. Uh, Your life sounds so boring. Well, it's not at all. Yawn. <laughs> Speaking yeah. of trade shows, I get to see the world and meet everybody <laughs> and shoot guns, and I bought. 6,000 acres in Oregon. No, you put a few too many zeros on there. I do that sometimes. He's not good with math. So it does sound amazing. And geometry. Speaking of the trade shows, you're going to be in our backyard at the Great American Outdoor Show. 
Yeah, unfortunately, you guys are going to have to be in the same general vicinity as me for uh, several days. That's going to be a really she's hard coming. thing to do. She's coming to the yeah. show. Yes, she yeah. is. I'm coming. Yeah. What I'm you... actually teaching a class there on positional shooting on Saturday as it relates to hunting. And then on Sunday, I'm teaching a class on elk calling and hunting. Well, nice. if, you, if you need anybody in either of those classes to stand up there and be the, elk? and this is how you don't do it, oh. people, <laughs> yeah. you let us know. I can add some extra zeros on everything you say. <laughs> hey, I promise you there's things that I do every year that I go, wow, that was really dumb. <laughs> I mean, we, that would, that would eliminate the human condition and then we wouldn't, we would cease to live. So yeah, yeah don't, that's just the way life goes. And we can always learn something new. That's for sure. Absolutely. If it, it, and that's, I mean, as serious as we can be, you know, talking about if you can't have humble, you know, some humbleism in yourself to know that you can fail on a regular basis, then you can never be great. So this is a, I, I don't get to talk. I get to talk to lots of people that make me humble about what they do in life. I mean, there's people that we've talked to on this show that have such an amazing lifestyle, but you really take the cake. I can't wait to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I, would, I you I, know I, I just, just I have a lot life. of people. I look up to a lot of people that are really. I mean, Doug Koenig is on Team Ruger. You talk about a brand ambassador. That man knows firearms inside and out as well as any engineer I've ever seen. He's an incredible sportsman. Um, just truly a great brand ambassador. My coach for PRS, Jake Vibert. He's one of the best long range shooters in the country the nicest person. And, you know, one thing that I have found is, you know, somebody might look up to me and think, Oh, she knows so much. Well, I'm looking up to somebody else looking with the same set of fresh eyes, like, Oh my gosh, these people, they, they know so much. And, you you know, kind of, you know, really, it gives you a goal. And, and that's the one thing that I hope for with what I'm doing is, you know, there's gotta be people out there that, are wanting to get into long range shooting or hunting for that matter. And they're nervous and perhaps they hear my story and they think, well, you know, if she gets the gumption to go try this stuff, I can't too. And, and that's the best gift I think we can give people. You're, you're challenging, we're not too good for anybody. You're challenging me just to become more active at shooting and become more accurate, which yeah. is going to make my hunting better and improve my, that's hunting. why I started. Yeah. So, well, and actually, that might be a perfect segue because I felt like we we had a huge jump in time, right? We learned a little bit about when you were growing up. Um, maybe you were jealous of the kids in the neighborhood, but <laughs> you, were, you were growing up in the middle of nowhere. And then we jumped to you started competitive shooting a year ago. Where where did the love of the shooting sports really start for you, though? Well, so for me... It's not where it started, but I um, I got into the hunting kind of industry, if you will, segued into that through conservation. And I've dedicated my entire adult life to volunteering for different conservation organizations from Safari Club International to the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. And now I work with the National Rifle Association. So that's been the major component of, you know, my life's work is dedicated to giving back. And, um, and I tell every sportsman out there, if you're taking, you need to give back. And that's a, that's a stronghold that I really, you know, if you're taking and hunting and reaping, then, uh, you need to also, sow, which means, uh, giving back towards conservation, volunteering, things like that, especially, 
I take a lot of veterans on um, hunts because they provide our freedom. So uh, extending a thank you to them is is important to my heart. But from so, that, I, I had a go ahead. I was just going to say both of those are, are like super um, mature thoughts and stances on things. Was there a catalyst that started that for you? Like, was there an experience that you had that you, you just thought, you know what, conservation is that important to me. I have to take this stand and participate in this way. Or is it just you? It's been ingrained in you. No, my parents were members of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation since I can remember. It was founded in '84, and I remember my parents going to some of the first banquets. So, you know, they really introduced me to the philosophy of conservation and how hunting is conservation. And so, uh, it was just something I grew up with. Is you know, you're a hunter, you give back, and that's. I mean, to me, there is no other way. And I was fortunate for that. Yeah, I think so. There's there's two ways people come to that that thought, and that's where I kind of wanted to, to point that out is you were raised in it. So it's very important for any of us that have you know young children and we're taking them hunting. It isn't just a matter of taking them hunting so that they're not sitting in front of a video game or taking them hunting so they're not getting in trouble doing this or that. They really This is your opportunity to help them understand because it can instill a passion like what you are displaying like what you're absolutely living. sure pass it down yeah so absolutely super important yeah and you have to instill that in kids in a delicate time frame and and proud part of the problem with continuing that is the dissolution of the family unit so a lot of kids don't have dads around they're from single parent households their dads don't hunt but they perhaps have an interest in it, which is where community outreach becomes important that, you know, if you're of a hunting or shooting sports family and you know a kid, then maybe they got a crummy family. Maybe their home life isn't the best. You know, maybe the kid's in a little trouble and could use someone that cares about them. It sounds um, like instead half, of casting the, half those, the kids I ever taught hunting. The well, ones. for sure. I mean, instead of casting them aside, bring them into the fold. Yeah. Giving them an opportunity to learn what ethics are and what integrity means, and you don't have and, to have uh, you don't have to have an adrenaline rush, you know, uh, you know, sh- shooting a mule deer, a, a, a squirrel, you know, shooting your long range weapon. We go, we do multiple youth field days every year, and to watch little kids that never picked up a fishing rod catch a bluegill, to watch a little, you know, a little twelve year old kid throw a tomahawk yeah. and stick it in a piece of old, you know, barn wood. To, you know, to watch them make their first turkey sounds with these youth field days that we do. Um, we the National Wild Turkey Federation does a lot here in Pennsylvania. There's we Jake help States, them yep. out. I get a high off watching those kids. I they've never heard a turkey sound before. Mm-hmm. Ryan teaches them archery, and they are probably horrible archers forever after that. But Ryan <laughs> tries to teach them. Archery. I those try. Are, yeah, those are more like scars. But those <laughs> days, so I totally get what you're saying. Those days to go out and do that or there are now i mean we've been doing it for years and now there are a lot there's not many things i would give up hunting for but we've given up a lot of hunting days to do that and i'm so happy that we do because i have fun at those days absolutely oh there's nothing better for sure yeah okay christy we're gonna uh segue into our segment called the fast five we there already yeah yeah buddy what time do we got oh we're we're ripping through time yeah this this episode is going by fast so i'm a talker guys sorry about oh hey it's been great (laughs) but we're gonna go around and ask you five questions uh and we try to kind of rapid fire them so it can be quick precise answers 
And there is no wrong answer. Correct. You'll get 100% on this quiz. So, <laughs> Oh, boy. I'll kick this one is off. The, do I, is this like every kid gets a trophy mentality here? No. No, we'll tell you We'll tell you if your answer sucks. <laughs> but it'll be right. But it'll, it'll be, be right. Be, yeah. <laughs> so what are you most proud of? Um, I think I'm most proud that I'm part of the over 7 million acres that's been conserved or enhanced since 1984 through the Rocky Mountain Oak Foundation volunteers. Boom. Excellent. That's a great one. Yeah, when you there's only 220,000 members, and we've conserved or enhanced seven million acres. We've opened access to over a million, and any anti that comes at me, I tell them what we've done, and I ask them what they've done, and it usually falls on no response. <laughs> wow. Drop the mic on that. Yeah, that's a great. Wow. Boom. Great one. We don't have any more questions. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that covered all five actually. <laughs> Uh, number two, one thing you can't live without in the outdoors. Mm. That I can't live without? Yeah, you know, like mm-hmm. Pop-Tarts or your wrist release for your bow or... Mine's toilet paper. Warm boots, whatever the case may be. Dave, if you want your own show, we'll have to... <laughs> well, I mean, I have several versions of what I can't live without. What do you, but, what do you um, take with you all the time? You can't go out without. you got to go back because you forgot it at the house. Yeah, well, what I can't live without usually is my GPS because I'm, like, uh, navigationally challenged uh, to an extenuating circumstance that it's bad. Yeah. Well, that's a yeah. good answer. I will hey, get you happens. lost. I will get you lost in the woods. Guaranteed. And thanks to the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, there's a lot of acres you could get us you lost, get in. lost in. That's, that's right. right. That's right. We will find our way back yeah. some year. You better take that GPS <laughs> with you then. Yeah, but I have things that I like, so but that's just one that's that if a, I don't have, then I'm in trouble. Yeah, that's a good one. Some of these kind of go hand in hand, but uh, what makes you happy? Oh, what makes me happy is being on my farm with my dogs. Perfect. Like, and being outside. Anything outside. I don't even have, well, I mean, I have a smart TV now, but I haven't had cable in years. And, and uh, for me, it's breathing fresh air, whether it be cold or hot or just anything outside. That's All awesome. right. So uh, what's one thing you do every day to prepare for your outdoor lifestyle? Every day? Every day. Um, or most days. I'm kind of a gym rat. I work out a lot. I, that's something I should probably That's a way you. better answer than anything yeah, I could we, give right we now. Would need to, yeah. A little out of shape. Yeah. We need to do that. How far yeah. of a if drive I, is it to the gym in Oregon? Or, well, I have a peloton bike in my bedroom i have an elliptical at my mom's and then a small gym at my mom's house and then we have a gym you know three minutes from my house so it's not and i have a crossfit membership do you do a lot of those live rides on the peloton oh man i'm on that thing last night i did 13 and a half miles almost puked it was yeah it was it was a grunt i did one ride on that thing my sister-in-law. Yeah. Your did your butt hurt afterwards? That he was saddle sore. Yeah, <laughs> you, <laughs> have to, you have to work through that. I couldn't. I couldn't stay in the saddle. I kept jumping up. The instructor's saddle, yelling at me. Saddle up, partner. I don't know why I was picking Oregon. Like there's like three and a half hour drive to the nearest gym. I mean, it probably would be. Might be. So, final question: What is your bucket list hunting trip, outdoor trip? What's the big 
the big kahuna. Besides coming to Harrisburg for the Great American Outdoor Show. To hang out with us. To hang out with us. Oh, and we are going to hang out because I got to meet you guys in person. Oh, definitely. Um, though, for me, to be honest with you, um, I want my dad to shoot a, a 340-inch or better elk with a bow. Like, my bucket list isn't for me. It's for him. Hey, it's still, I like it. And you know what? That's I the want him to get a giant. bucket list giveaway. That's yeah. the first. Yeah. It yeah. was. Everyone love else it. has their it's own best bucket one list. I've heard you. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm blessed to do so many incredible things. I, I want my dad, to, you know, he's getting older and slowing down, and I'm really pushing for him to to take some time. I'm hoping he'll draw antelope in Oregon this year, and uh, I'm not even hunting. I just, we're going to film it, blessed that he draws it, I hope. Um, and, I mean, I just want my dad to have some really cool experiences because he appreciates them as much, if not more, uh, than I do and, and doesn't take the time for it, so... I want to make sure that that happens. That's so great. I hope it does too. Yeah. We're cheering you on here for that. So yeah. as we wrap up, how can our listeners find you, f- listen to you, more of you? How Pretty can they do sure that? They just drive around the country. They'll probably run into her somewhere. Yeah. One of those <laughs> 200 days. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it depends if they're backpacking or not, or what, you know, I mean, if they're in town, they're not going to find me. I promise you. <laughs> Um, but, um, well, she doesn't know where off. she is if she forgets her GPS. Yeah. I mean, I'll get lost <laughs> if I don't. Her? Nobody will ever find me. You got to put a tracking device on me. Have you, have Thank you... God there's a find my phone app. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, have you been to the great American outdoor show before? This will be my first time. Yeah, you're going to get so. Yeah. Lost. You might want to bring that GPS. Yeah. We're going to draw you a map. It's such a big building. You're going to need a guide. I have buddies. My buddy Jim Brennan, he's one of my best friends, and he goes every year. So yeah, I'll make good. sure that he takes care of me. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, that's what you need. You need somebody who's been there. A, a, a handler. A handler. Yeah, a handler. Oh, gosh. It's huge. Oh, it's, it's just, it'll swallow you up. It's, it's just huge. There's seven of us, and there's so, it can get so There used crowded. to be eight of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, lost, we lost one at the we show. We used to tie paracord to each other's <laughs> belt loops just to, like, when you backpack up a mountain to get through that. You place. had one of those little harnesses on, like, yeah. people put on their kids. It was, That's exactly <laughs> what we had. It was belaboring. Yeah. Catfish wears the little uh, the little tiger one with the tail. I like that one. And we, DK has to hold the tail. We like crab cake sandwiches in that thing. We lost a lot of good men out there. Yeah. <laughs> so how can our listeners find you? You're the one who stays on track. You're like the voice of reason. <laughs> We've been saying that about um, some, him some days. This is it's yeah. my week to be the responsible one. Everything, everyone else is like off track, myself included. So people can find me really easily on social media. It's just at Christy Titus. So K-R-I-S-T-Y-T-I-T-U-S. Same thing with my website. Um, my YouTube channel is Pursue the Wild, or if you look me up, is Christy Titus. That'll also pull up. So I have a whole digital television series that we didn't even touch on um, that airs on Amazon TV, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and it's hunting and tips and tactics, of course, and um, so it's trying to be kind of informative and also quasi entertaining if you're into that sort of thing. Um, and it's called Pursue the Wild. So check that Perfect. out. Perfect. Well, we definitely will have to do a part two episode. Yeah, yeah. We have to do a whole one on Pursue the Wild. Yeah. I like it. Uh, we're also going to have to do an episode at the Great American Outdoors show. We'll have to catch up with you, record another podcast there. So our listeners will be hearing more from you. Oh, yeah. That'd be, that'd be a great interaction. And just to get mm-hmm. her take on the show as a first time attendee. 
Yes. Love you it. guys, I'll make an appointment and I won't show up because I'll have lost my God umbilical cord to Jim and I'll be back in another building and I won't be able to find you. Sir, you're warning us that you're going to stand us up. No, yeah. We're, okay. We're professional trackers inside that building. Boom. Outside the building, we're not good at all. But good to know. Yeah. We've, we've been running around. I feel that, safe. We've been running around that place since we were in strollers. Yeah. We've we been know all the hiding spots. Long, long time. <laughs> Well, thank you. We appreciate it. Oh, we look Christy, forward to you. talking to you and hearing more from you, Christy. Thanks, guys. That was fun. Yeah. Thank you. That was a good one, Deaky. Oh, that was good. You did have that nice little surprise for us. You're welcome. I take back all those bad things I was saying about you. You should. You know, one you of the should. things that I really well, most love when we have a, a guest of that magnitude on. What's that? Is when I can look across the table at you and all the... Stuff you do making deer fat soap and all the craziness <laughs> that you're into, and literally just go, We just don't do enough. Yeah, yeah, we don't I want to do learn how to make deer fat soap. Oh, what is this? He'll teach oh, you. All I'll kinds teach of you. Stuff. He makes candles out of dead bugs and all kinds of weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's perfect. So, all right, boys, where can our listeners find us? As always, you can find us at RuttenRiverPursuits.com. And, of course, we are all over the place on social media. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Facebook. Just Facebooks. search Rutten River Pursuits. Don't forget the YouTube. YouTube channel. Make sure you look for us, Rutten River Pursuits Podcast. Podcast. And the podcast itself, as always, available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You know I, like? Spotify. I love Spotify. It's my new favorite. That's my favorite because it's new. So, Deke, when we're not shooting precision rifles extended long range, out to twenty two hundred yards, and every and walking, you know, every time we go in Bass Pro, buying our favorite ammo, and riding a Peloton bike thirty five miles, <laughs> he knew it was coming. I, I stumped him. When we're not doing all those things, so, we get hungry. That's true. That's very true. So, what do we do? And then we, uh, you eat the other guy's soap because there's bugs in it. <laughs> there's a little bit of protein, but I prefer my protein from Moses Family Jerky. So I like to go to mfjerky.com. And I like to use the promo code jerkypursuits15. Get 15% off your entire order. The all entire that jerky, website. all that coffee, everything. Mm. Mm-hmm. Jerky and coffee. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't go wrong. Sounds great. All right. Bring them with us. God, see you well. Diggy. <laughs> see you guys. Peace. See ya. You're, t- you're touching the mic. Quit touching the mic. <laughs> Don't you dare touch it. You guys are funny. We try. Oh, just you wait. Yeah. <laughs> oh, where that came from. You reload any of your competitive rounds? I don't have time okay. to do my emails. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least she's honest. I'll kick this one is off. The, do I, is this like every kid gets a trophy mentality here? No. No, we'll tell you. We'll tell you if your answer sucks. <laughs> but it'll be right. But it'll, it'll be, be right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan teaches them archery and. They are probably horrible archers forever after that. But Ryan tries to teach them. <laughs> I try. Are, yeah, those are more like scars. 